And the children are... Yes, go ye kids. I think when we get to the prayer request time, we ought to pray for all those that are battling these strange little colds and things that are running around. Talk to Brother Sharavia. He said he's been battling a head cold for over a month now. And uh, let's, uh, we're just going to continue in, in our, our Bible study of the Gospels and putting this, uh, the Bible together, the narrative of the four Gospels in a systematic and a, uh, what is called a harmony. Um, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And the last phrase of Matthew chapter 1 ties in with Luke chapter 2. And it says, And he called his name Jesus. And the uh, name, the idea here of the formal naming of the child, that happened on the eighth day. Uh, that would have been in Bethlehem. And Joseph would have uh, given him his formal name. That would have been his duty. We go to uh, Luke chapter 2. And Luke being the historian, the one that came a little later and researched all of these things, uh, he gives us uh, a little more detail here in verse 21. It says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of God, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now I'd like you to just keep your finger there in Luke chapter 2 and go with me to Leviticus here. Leviticus chapter 12. And this gives us a little bit of the timing here. Leviticus chapter 12. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 2, Leviticus 12, Speak unto the children of Israel, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of separation for her infirmity shall she be unclean, and in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. And then it goes on, if it's a girl that is born, it's unclean two weeks. And uh, then there's 66 or three score and six days. So 40 days uh, after the birth of a son, six, 80 days after the birth of a girl. And we get down here to the last, uh, verses 7 and 8. It says, 
who shall offer it before the Lord to make an atonement, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is a law of her that hath born a male or a female. And if she not be able to bring a lamb, then shall she bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. And so now we go back to the book of, of uh, Luke, and we, now we are in Bethlehem 40 days. That is the fulfillment of the days of purifying. They go take the short trip there, just a few miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And they're going to offer the sacrifice according to the law. And the Bible tells us that they offered the least sacrifice. It was supposed to be a lamb and a turtle dove. But if you couldn't get a lamb, then two turtle doves or pigeons. And the idea here was that uh, most often, uh, well, in the Old Testament, you could actually go out and capture these birds with a snare. In the New Testament, with the, uh, the sacrifices, you had to purchase them in the temple complex in order for them to uh, be acceptable. And Mary and Joseph did that. And then we go through here the story of Simeon and Anna. And uh, we've been kind of over this a little bit, but let's just take a few moments and read a little bit of the Scripture here. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, or verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles in the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, this was Simeon's prophecy and his blessing. It's interesting how he says, A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people. Let me make sure I get this right here. I'm sorry. The glory of thy people, Israel. Um one of the books that was left here in the building when we bought the uh, 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 property from the, the synagogue was a book that had famous Jewish people in history. Uh, and I, I'm sure that uh, they left that on purpose to let us know who uh, uh, about Jewish heritage and things. And, of course, we understand that there are many, many, many famous Jewish people down through history. Uh, how many of you, um, the name has slipped my, uh, my mind, but there was a Jewish man in uh, the revolutionary times 
who did the banking and the financing and helped uh, the men that we call the founding fathers put together and keep uh, paying the troops and when they did and all of these things. Uh, you follow down through history and you'll see many, many famous Jews all through history. But you could take the history of all the famous Jews put together in books and it wouldn't match what is talked about one most famous Jew. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You could take all of the, the references to all Jewish people in all history and all books and I, I believe that you would have as many about Jesus as you would all the rest of them all put together. Uh, I think that's a safe thing to say. And uh, you see, he is the glory of Israel, is he not? And he talks about a sword should pierce through Mary's soul. <clears throat> and uh, uh, in verse 35, that the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. And I'll tell you, I've searched high and low in commentaries and things trying to find something in the only thing that I've ever found that's made any sense to this is, you know, many, uh, we have religions today, the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, uh, High Episcopal, uh, they've all taken the Mary, uh, that is the name Mary and the person in the Bible, and the Mary that they worship and they venerate has nothing to do with the Mary of the Bible. In fact, in uh, past history, under Pope John Paul, and again, uh, uh, just recently under one of them, they've tried to add Mary to the Trinity of God. And uh, uh, I, I will tell you that what it says here is a sword pierced through thy own soul. The Mary of the Bible is completely gone from these faiths. There, there is, the Mary of the Bible does not exist in the Catholic faith, in the uh, Orthodox faith. They have changed her so completely. In fact, if you really want to search it out, uh, you can find in the ancient false religions of Babylon and Egypt, uh, the mother and child, and that is really who they tried to turn this thing into, and I've uh, made some people very upset over the years by just asking a simple question. I said, how, how many Catholics, they claim about 800 million Catholics in the world, I said, how many of them would pray to Mary in a given 24-hour period? And they look at me kind of funny. I said, well, let's, let's just be, uh, let's make the numbers easy. Let's, let's just say that 100 million one-eighth of the church would pray to her in any given 24-hour period. Would you think that that is fair? Oh, I think it's a lot more than that. Well, let's just take a hundred million. If Mary was a human being like you and I, and she is in heaven, and she has to take a hundred million prayers to God every day, she would have to be the most miserable person in heaven. There'd be no time for her to worship God. There'd be no time for her to do anything except carry the prayers of all these people. The only way that it could actually be done is she would have to be a God. Because no man could do that. 
And see, we refuse the deity of Mary. We believe that she is just as the Bible said, the handmaid of the Lord, the servant of God, a normal human being who was the one that God chose. And Simeon seems to prefigure this worship of Mary and this veneration of her right here in this prophecy. And so, and then we go on and we meet this second person. And honestly, these are two of my favorite people. And I think we ought to mention them more than just at Christmas time. But that's usually when I get around to mentioning them. And we have Anna, the prophetess. She was of great age. It said she lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of 84 years. So, 91 years from her wedding date, if she were 16 when she got married, which wouldn't have been uh, unusual in those days, she could have easily been uh, as old as 20. Uh, you, you start putting that date there, uh, 20 plus 91, what, what does that work out to? Uh, old, all right. Uh, and... So we have this lady here who had spent 84 years living in the temple, doing nothing but fasting and praying night and day. And she comes in at that instant while Simeon is still holding the baby and gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And so... Here we have Simeon holding baby Jesus, giving this blessing and prophecy to Mary and Joseph. And then Anna comes walking in at that moment and makes an announcement in the temple there that anyone who is looking for the redemption of Israel. Now, somebody should have been paying attention to these things, don't you think? Uh, We had the angels, certainly. The shepherds, as they noised abroad, that would have happened just a little over a month ago, about 40 days before. Don't you think someone in Jerusalem could have been paying attention to some of these details? And and trying to say, hey, something is going on, something is different, something's happening here that But here's what the case always is, my friend, and the Bible is just brings us living history. If your heart is in tune with God, you're going to be where you need to be when you need to be there. Can we say amen to that? You're you're going to be part of what's going on. You're going to be in tune. The chief priests weren't in tune. The men who were offering the sacrifices weren't in tune with God. Herod certainly wasn't in tune. He was... Uh, we'll, we'll find out uh, how evil he was in just a few moments. But they offered this least offering, and it's amazing that and when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, it says they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now, I don't know how many times I read over this verse. And never picked it up. Always kind of thought, well, that's that's uh, uh, hooks up with 
when they went into Nazareth after the um, um, return from Egypt. But really, it, it seems like Mary and Joseph, after the dedication, would have naturally returned to Nazareth. And sometime in that two-year period, they had come back to Bethlehem. Only this time, they had a house. And so, uh, we uh, go to Matthew chapter 2 now. Our time period is moving forward here. We, uh, isn't it interesting? John chapter 1 starts out at creation and uh, we have moved through approximately 4,000 years of history to this point. And now we have gotten through the first uh, 40 days of the life of Jesus and we come here to chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, people read this and they say, See there, uh, the wise men were there the night Jesus was born. Well, read the rest of the passage. Jesus was no longer a baby. He was a little child. They weren't in the manger. They were in a house. And... and we follow the uh, the narrative from Luke. They had gone to Nazareth, and we don't know whether it was family pressure or what uh, what the circumstances were. But Joseph had come back to Bethlehem and was now living there. And, and I want you to notice a few things about this story. They saw his star in the east, and they came to worship him. And it says, and when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And we, and I, I would encourage you not to spend a great deal of time studying the life of King Herod and his family. Uh, they are some of the darkest chapters of human depravity in history. They, they just, uh, Herod was nothing but a, uh, fortune seeker. He was a man of great ability. He had uh, military prowess. He was a general. He had defeated some of the Greek troops in the area there and has kind of established himself as a king. And then the Romans came in and, and he made nice with the Romans and was actually, uh, if there was anyone that had the title king of the Jews, it was Herod. He had earned that. He had spent his whole life plotting and planning and tricking and stealing and killing and, and, and fighting wars. And he even worked it out to marry one of the daughters in the high priest in the Maccabean family. And one of his payments to them and one of his things that he did to endear himself to the Jewish people was begin the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. You, you remember Zerubbabel and Shelthiel came back uh, uh, after 70 years and they had laid the foundation of the temple and the old men that had seen Solomon's temple, what did they do? They wept. And the young man that had not seen anything, they were rejoicing. And so it said the sound was heard afar off. And what did the prophecy say? The glory of this temple will be greater than the first. This is known as the second temple. They actually, Herod, 
had hired the finest craftsmen and they had been building this temple uh, seven years at this time. They would continue building the temple the whole way through the life of Christ. In fact, I think it was um, sometime shortly after 60 A.D. they finally finished building the temple in Jerusalem. It was considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. People would travel the whole way halfway across the Roman Empire just to stand uh, on the hill over Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, and look at the temple complex. It was something to behold. If you were a Gentile, you were not allowed in other than the court of the Gentiles. And that temple was complete not ten years before Titus's armies would surround the city of Jerusalem. A rebellion had set in against Rome, and they wiped that temple even with the ground. The only thing left is the western wailing wall in Jerusalem. If there's anything I would like to see, I'd like to just see that the foundation of Solomon's um, foundation of Herod's temple, what's left there. But uh, as a Gentile, you're you're not allowed to get very close to there. They have a section. Uh, for the Gentiles, but the, the Jewish people still worship and consider that their most sacred site. And, of course, we have the Islamic mosque on top of the temple. Just an aside here, the Bible tells us in order for the abomination of desolation to happen in the middle of the tribulation period, the temple's got to be rebuilt because the Antichrist has got to sit in the most holy place claiming to be God. And so, there's a lot of incredible things that are going to happen in the next few years, I believe. And we may even see some of these things in our lifetime. And, but uh, in, in this point right here, we have these wise men coming in, and they want to see who was the king of the Jews, and the fact that it was three guys coming in saying, we want to see the king of the Jews. Herod could have easily just had them disappear in some alley in Jerusalem like he had done so many people before him. He was a murderer. Uh, He was every wicked thing that a man could be. Apparently, their entourage was such a size and their importance and their presence was, was enough to get the now the entire... Uh, leadership in Jerusalem says, wow, wait a minute, if we have someone claiming to be the Messiah born now, we're going to have problems. And, and the Roman soldiers are coming and we're going to have all of these things. And so Herod thought he was very smart. And he inquired diligently of them and gave them a charge. And the Bible tells us that when they left Jerusalem, they saw the star again. Apparently this star had appeared once. And they had spent all this time researching and trying to figure out. And they came to Jerusalem uh, two years after the event. Then they were sent to Bethlehem. And as they left Jerusalem, they saw the star again. And that star came and stood over the place. Now with me, I just wonder if that star wasn't an angel. I don't know. People try to have all kinds of things there. It's just interesting the words that that are used in our Bible. 
They rejoiced and they, verse 11, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now you notice the, the pronoun there is used collectively. It didn't say their own countries. So it wasn't a guy from Africa and a guy from China and a guy from India. Um, they were all of the same nationality. They were all of the same people. They had come there. And they went home, and then as they were depart, when they were departed, the Bible tells us, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And so the wise men are leaving, and I'm sure that the entire city of Bethlehem, as small little town as it was, was talking about uh, this great party that had stopped to see this house and what was going on there and While everybody was talking, you have Mary and Joseph and the little child Jesus leaving for Egypt. Not soon after, the soldiers of Herod arise. And just one notice here. Well, um, we uh, we pick up 15, it says, And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under according to the time, which he had diligently inquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Now let's turn to Jeremiah 31 and verse 15. Now we're certainly not going to be able to stop and chase down every Old Testament reference. But this one I I would like for us to notice. We start in verse 15. It says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. And I would challenge you to read Jeremiah 31 in its entirety and to read the surrounding context, I don't see how that you would understand that that verse applied to what the Bible says it applied to without God telling us that this was a prophecy specifically about what was going on. And 
the point being made here is that prophecy and the Bible is best understood under the direction of the Bible. That, that we need to be very careful. I, I was talking with someone about that and he says, oh, that, that's ridiculous. You could figure that out on your own. I, I challenge you. Could anybody figure that out on their own? Uh, I certainly couldn't. I, I don't claim to be as smart as some people claim to be. Uh, but I don't see how in the world you could figure that out except for God stopped and let us know that this prophecy had a double fulfillment. He was talking about the children, you go on, uh, of Bethlehem that were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, that were uh, ripped out of the land and moved to, to Babylon. And it says that they would come home again. And, and they did with Zerubbabel and Shathiel and rebuilt the temple. You see, God tells us this prophecy also had a secondary fulfillment at the death of Herod, at Herod murdering the children there. And as the soldiers came in, some, some people would like to have the narrative as the soldiers were riding into town, Mary and Joseph were walking out the other side of town. Um, as Bethlehem to the south, they would have been exiting to the south, and Jerusalem would have been to the north. It, it could have happened that way, but you know what? We don't need to add drama to God's Word. God's timing was perfect because there was no chasing of them. They, they were already safe in Egypt when these things. And one of the, the notes that uh, I have here in your outline is Herod had kept a special watch. This thing was so troubling to Herod. Uh, three guys showing up on camels would not have troubled Herod so much. But what they were and what they represented, this, this man was not only evil, but he was very careful and very astute. He was paying special attention and he made sure he was trying to keep this rumor from hurting his hopes. History tells us that just simply months after he had ordered the death of the children in Bethlehem, he himself entered eternity. Uh, we do not know this was Herod the Great. He was the father of the Herod line, the, the Herods that were there uh, when Jesus was uh, in his ministry. Uh, I believe were actual grandsons. Uh, may need to study that up, but I, I just hate studying about the Herods because they're just such wicked, wicked people. Uh, they make the slop operas look clean. And uh, uh, so we have Jesus going to uh, Egypt. And then while he was there, verse 19, it says, But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He had turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and it came to pass that he dwelt at a city 
And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Most people believe that this prophecy, uh, he shall be called a Nazarene, was actually included in Isaiah 53, that he had no former comeliness, that there was, he was like a root grown up out of dry ground. The, the idea that uh, uh, was even uh, fostered by Nathaniels, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, they just really, uh, the Jewish people did not uh, foster any good will or hopes of anything in Galilee whatsoever. Their world was Jerusalem. That's all they had. And, and that's where they were wandering. And then we come to a great void where two, two and a half years from the birth of Jesus at this point. Now, while this is going on, John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus. He would live with his parents until somewhere in his teenage years. We go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, and it says he was in the deserts until his showing unto Israel. It says that his garments was camel hair, camel's hair, and a leathern girdle. His food was locust and wild honey. Now, the term locust was uh, referring to several insects. And if you'll read uh, the Old Testament dietary law, uh, there are several insects that are good for eating and uh, are allowed under the Jewish law. I just praise the Lord I've never been that hungry. Uh, and, uh, and I do not take the challenge in the outdoor catalogs. If you're going to be a real man, you've got to eat bugs. No. If you're going to be a real man, you pack real food when you go into the wilderness so you can enjoy yourself. Amen. Uh, and John would find the honey. The, the bees would uh, build hives anywhere they could find it. Old hollow trees, rocks, caves. And once the amount of honey would get to a certain point, it would actually flood the hive and the, and the bees would... Uh, take off and they would swarm and they would form a new nest somewhere else. And uh, John would find the honey and there he was. And I'll tell you, the raw honey has got stuff in it that is so good for you. Uh, have, has anyone ever eaten the honey with, in the comb itself? Uh, it tastes a little bit like uh, the old wax candy when you were a kid. But I mean, there's, there's supposed to be stuff there that's good for you. Um, and so that was John. He was by himself. He lived in solitude. You know what he spent his time doing? You stop and think, John's whole life. He, he would have been no, uh, no younger than 15, 16 years old. His parents were very old and would have died when he was young during the normal course of things. When they passed away, John left society and lived a hermitage life out in the wilderness. His only communication was with the Holy Spirit of God. He did not have the scrolls. He did not have a Bible that he could read like we did. And he spent his whole life preparing for a ministry that lasted hardly six months. Now you stop and think about that. 
20, I mean, uh, 15, 16 years. All that time, praying, talking to God, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, living the life of a Nazarite as the Old Testament. That meant he would have never had to visit the barber shop. He would have, uh, he would, his food would have been very careful. None of the polite food that we uh, would enjoy today. And John was there, and all of a sudden he comes out of the wilderness. His garments would have been very similar to those of Elijah of the Old Testament. I just have a feeling that John the Baptist didn't have one of those. You know, preachery voices. That uh, he thundered and people heard him when he spoke. But of his life, we know very little. Now, we have a few more verses about the life of Jesus, and we'll turn back to Luke chapter 2. And uh, I would challenge you, I would warn you as your pastor, stay away from supposed books that talk about Jesus' life as a little boy. There's uh, several passages in a book called uh, The Epistle of uh, Thomas, and then I think there's a few references in another one called Barnabas. Uh, I want to I warn you, Thomas did not write the Epistle of Thomas. It was some middle, medieval monk uh, sitting in a cave somewhere or in a castle somewhere just imagining things. This was, this was, these books are known... As the false writings, the pseudepigrapha is their literary genre or term. And don't pay attention to them. They have nothing for us as Christians. If you want to know about Jesus, read the Bible. And, uh, and I will warn you, I have read some different passages from these books. And they make Jesus a sinner. They say he was playing with clay on the Sabbath day, which is a breaking of the Sabbath, and when his mother came and said, what are you doing? He turned it into a dove and let it fly away. I'm sitting there going, that is such nonsense. But more importantly than that, it makes Jesus worse than the people he came to save. That's not true. But we do have Jesus acting in a Very different way. We come here to verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsmen and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers." Now, again, here we have the shepherds telling about the angels the night Jesus was born. The things that happened in the temple 40 days after Jesus was born. 
the wise men coming to Jerusalem two years after Jesus was born, all of the wicked plans and things that Herod did to kill those little children, everybody in Jerusalem knew what was going on. Now 12 years have passed. And here's a little boy sitting in the midst of the most learned men in all Jewry answering their questions and expressing wisdom and knowledge that they don't have. And nobody took notice. In fact, Mary and Joseph didn't take too kindly to Jesus' behavior here. And it tells us that, uh, what's it say here? Um, Verse 48, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with, thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. You stop and think about Jesus. Now, we make lots of stories and movies about precocious children that have great intelligence and, and know all of these things that they're not supposed to know. But here is Jesus, 12 years old. He's answering the questions and expressing wisdom not possessed by people who have been studying the Old Testament Scriptures all their lives. And Mary finds him and says, why have, you did, why have you done this to us? Why do you treat us this way? And his answer was, I must be about my father's business. They didn't get it. It says he was subject to them. That meant he was punished. That he had to change his behavior to meet what his parents had said. Why? Because there's a commandment that says the children are supposed to honor their parents. I, I want to challenge you how much patience Jesus must have had to possess in order to put up with everyone in the whole world. No one taking any notice of any of all the miraculous things and even his own parents not paying attention to the things that God had given him to do. But here's what it does say. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus grew up. He increased in wisdom. He increased in stature and height. No, he was not six foot two, blonde haired and blue eyes as all of the uh, Hollywood movies uh, uh, persuade him. And no, uh, if you've ever, how many of you have ever met the uh, black Israelites on the streets? Uh, I just want to warn you, stay away from these guys. They're nuts. Uh, there, there is not one lick of sense, and they are very dangerous. You cannot have a discussion with these people. 
Uh, I tried many years ago when I was here with Brother Clayton, and one of them said, I've got a big knife in my pocket, and I'm going to get you. And I'm sitting here going, what kind of craziness is this? You're talking about Jesus? And uh, fortunately, we, we got out of there right away. I mean, these people are insane because they hold so many lies. The only way they can protect them is with violence. Stay away from them. They, they have no truth. One of them said, his feet were burned like brass. I heard him preach on the streets one time. And I said, yeah, you know what color burning brass is? I do because I know how to braise with a welding torch. It is golden. It is fiery yellow. And he was trying to say Jesus was black because his feet were burned brass because it had soot on them. Uh, I mean, come on. You can't be that ignorant by mistake. You've got to do it on purpose. Somebody's got to help you. And so Jesus just simply grew up patiently, quietly. And yet it says he increased in favor. Number one with God, because he was obedient to God in every point. And with man. You know what that means? That you couldn't help but admire Jesus as you got to know him. This was somebody different. You could tell by looking at him, talking to him, that he was not just an average person, but it was not that he walked into a room and all the crying babies stopped crying. And, and uh, No, he was so human that the religious leaders in his day could not accept that he was God. And yet, the Bible tells us that he increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. This is going to continue until we get down the line of time, 30 years. So from the events of Jesus' birth until he was about 30 years old, a few months before that time, John the Baptist would start preaching. And that's where we're going to, Lord willing, pick up next Sunday night. And we're just going to work our way through. And I know this is familiar territory for most of us. But... I'll tell you, I learned a lot of things when I did this the first time, and I really think it would be good for us as a church just to work our way through the Gospels. We're going to be moving back and forth in the Gospels quite a bit. We're going to cover, I don't know that we'll read every verse, we're going to cover every verse in all four Gospels, and we're going to put the story together so that we can get a complete narrative on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we'll take just a moment, if you'd like to come and pray, or anything before the prayer time, and then we'll get right into our prayer time tonight.